0: When I grew up in in North Canton as a kid, uh, one thing they would always do kind of in the community is they would have a, um, a Sunday where pastors would change pulpits, and you'd get to hear somebody speak and share that was from a different church. And I think that that practice has stopped some time back, but... Our pastor Steve and uh, Tom Hogshead, who will be speaking with us this morning, and a few other pastors have really been building a relationship of um, you know, just like-minded Bible-believing churches that just love this community, and they want to make sure that we partner together and work together to love this community. So this morning, this is kind of neat because we get Tom Hogshead to come share with us. He is the lead pastor at the Summit Church. Uh, here in North Canton on Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Avenue. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing from Tom. Um, Tom grew up in North Carolina. He served in ministry at the Canton Baptist Temple. Uh, He's been involved in ministry much like Mission View in the sense that he's been a church plant up at the, they were um, in the green area uh, as they began, and now they're uh, in a permanent building in North Canton. And uh, I think uh, not only is he a, a godly man, a godly leader, uh, his primary ministry is to love his wife, Leah, and care for uh, his uh, two children, uh, um, Lexi and Ty. We are we're thankful to have men like, like Tom in our community, uh, men of God who love the body of believers, who love the community they're in, and they want to make a difference for Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'd like you to just welcome Tom Hogshead along with me and uh, make him feel welcome here at Mission View. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, listen, if you're a guest with us, uh, come, make sure you come back next week because uh, you're gonna be disappointed this morning with what you get. Um, Steve is, I'm I'm just joking, Steve uh, has been a good friend for several years. And uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about Steve is his heart to connect other churches. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, and uh, churches were always kind of in in competition a little bit. And it seems like uh, people were very territorial about their church. And I'm so thankful that in, in the North Canton area, uh, Steve has really been one of the driving forces behind uh, bringing churches together uh, because we, we are, gospel-centered churches are on the same team. And it, it doesn't matter if they go to Mission View, if they go to Summit, or wherever in our community that's preaching the gospel faithfully. It doesn't matter. It's a win-win situation. And uh, so it's a privilege for me to um, speak here at Mission View. It's a little bit weird. Um, to speak in another church. Uh, so I try to get around and meet a few people this morning and I will try to remember your names, but I probably will not uh, because I'm in my 40s now. And once you, once you, once you make it into your 40s, uh, it's all downhill from there. Uh, so I apologize to anybody who may be way on the other side of the 40s, but we, we know that every day that we live is a step closer to death. So... Uh, I'm back next week <laughs> You know, speaking of being on the same team, you know, my, my wife, Lee and I would just uh, celebrated 20 years of marriage, and f- during our first year of marriage, we were, we were so different. Um, we thought we were a lot alike, but we were actually really different. Um, we had gone back to my wife is from am I allowed to say this? she's from Michigan she's originally from England. Okay, I know. Let me, let me back up here a little bit, okay? So my time has just been cut down to five minutes. Um, my wife is originally from England. She grew up in England. Her dad was a design engineer for Ford, and they transitioned him over to Michigan. So it's not her fault. Um, it was just byproduct of her, of her dad. But during our first year of marriage, we went back to Michigan to, to visit, visit her family. And we came from extremely different backgrounds. I uh, grew up in North Carolina. Uh, she grew up in, in Michigan for the most part. But what our, what our differences were, uh, were in personality. And we thought we were the same, but we were quite different. And I didn't realize when we first got married that she had this little um, spunk in her that was very spontaneous. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. So one night when we were um, visiting up in Michigan, we were on the way to, to church, of, of all places, and I was driving. Uh, And we were to almost our home church, like literally within a half mile of our home church. And we came up to this red light. And as we came up to the red light, how many of you um, bicycle? Anybody bicycle in here? All right, a couple of you. I apologize for what I'm about to say over the next minute or two. Um, But uh, sometimes bicyclists uh, act like they own the road. And uh, this guy, as I was just kind of easing up to the stop sign, he was coming, the stoplight, he was coming across. Well, he thought I wasn't stopping. And I was, I promise. I was stopping. Well, he got mad and stopped his bicycle right in front of our car and started, I I can't go into what he said, but uh, he stopped in front of our car and just started yelling some things at us. He thought I was gonna hit him and I and I wasn't. Well, Leah, just in a moment, I don't know what it was, she just snapped. And she reached over. So I'm driving, she reaches over and she taps on the horn. I'm like, what did you just do? He thinks I beep the horn. So the light turns green, and I'm like, I'm going. Well, next thing, the only thing I can remember is going towards her church, looking in the rearview mirror, and this guy's coming after us. He is coming after us on a bicycle. And listen, if you ride a bicycle and you're chasing a car, you always look bad, all right? When you look at this guy, I mean, is pedaling as fast as he can. And I said, Leah, this guy's going to beat me up. Look at me. I'm not going to be. I can't beat anybody up. He is going to get, when we get to the church parking lot, I'm going to get out of the car, He's going because he thinks I beeped the horn, and he's going to beat me up. So we were, I was, there was no way I was pulling to, to that parking lot, man. We started circling, circling neighborhoods, man. We were making sure that bicyclist, and we discovered there were some differences in, in our marriage. But there's a lot of similarities in our marriage, common goals, much like the Summit Church and Mission View. And I'm, I guess why this morning does my heart good is it tells me that there may be things that are different about our churches. But when it comes down to it, people are of value, no matter what church they, they attend. And I'm thankful for the heart of your pastor. And I want you to know that as we have been familiar with what's happening with Steve and our church has been praying on his behalf. And not only his behalf, his family, but also use the church family. Because we recognize and realize that that a diagnosis as he's gotten, we're we're praying for a miracle, but we we know that, that God has called Steve to this time of suffering. Sometimes we don't know why that is, but our church is praying on behalf. And do you know where our church learned to pray for other churches? From Mission View. And every Sunday we pray for other churches. And that's because your church and your pastor had the heart for that. Um, So as I kind of dive into my message this morning, I wanna pray for our church, for Mission View, for Steve, um, as we walk into God's word this morning. So will you join me in prayer? God, we are grateful that we have an opportunity like this to stand and different places, different churches and proclaim the same gospel. That Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin. A penalty that we deserve. But we know that the wrath of God on sin must be satisfied. And we are grateful that that, that wrath was poured out on your son Jesus so that all those who receive him by faith have the forgiveness of sin, but, but we're so thankful that the death of Christ is not it. But three days later that Jesus came back from the dead, assuring those who believe eternal life. And so God, is that message of the gospel, the hope that we have through Christ alone on no effort of our own that whether Mission View or the Summit or any other gospel-centered church in our community, that message translates. And when a person's life is changed, we celebrate. And so I pray for Mission View. I thank, I'm th- so thankful for the work that you're doing through them in the community the example that they've set here in the North Canton area. I pray for Steve and for his wife and for his kids. Those who are very close to him. I pray God that you would take him and use him in whatever way you see, see fit. But God our heart is that you would do a miracle, that you would do a work in this situation where all of us will be able to look to this situation and say, God, who could do this but you? Because it's not about us, it's not about Steve, it's not about a church. It's about bringing honor and glory to you that you alone deserve. And God, I pray that you continue to pour out your favor on the churches in our community that are proclaiming the gospel. That even this morning, is pastors just standing up and pulpits all over. Help them to be faithful to your word. So I pray that you would take this time that we have together, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that ultimately that you would help us not to leave here the same way that we came in. Help us not to just simply have come in here to check off something on our list that we've gone to church, but more importantly that the Holy Spirit of God would we'll take the word of God and push us to do your will. And so God, we give you this time. We ask that the Holy Spirit might be a work in the individual hearts that are here. That If there's somebody here, if there's a guest here, or somebody that even has attended for a long time that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, through Jesus Christ alone, that they might find that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if, you, if you have a Bible, um, no matter how, what kind of a form that is, physical Bible, or if that's uh, a tablet or a phone, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What I'm going to be talking about this morning, and, and I hope you don't take offense to this, is it, it's not revolutionary. Um, it's something that you've heard before. And I find that sometimes people come to church, they hear something completely revolutionary, something that they've never heard before, something that they're just taken back by and they're like, wow, I've never heard that before. Well, let me just be up front with you. What you're going to hear today, if, if you've grown up in church, this is, this is not going to be revolutionary. But I find that some people are looking for what they haven't heard but I think that if, if we began obeying what we already know, how God could use our life. And so I wanna remind us today, what is a value to churches? What should be a value to our churches? We assign value to a lot of things. Um, financial values, um, You know, if you're looking to sell your car, where do you, where do you look? What's the, if you're gonna sell your car, you want to find the value of the car? Where do you look at? Anybody know? Kelly Blue Book. You want to find the value of, of, of your, your investments, your stocks, um, your house. Uh, if you're looking for a value on your house, where do you go? Zillow. All right, which I'm hoping lies because my, my house keeps going down in value. So I'm not sure who's controlling that. But we look at all these different places that assign value to things, financial values, our collectibles, Our possessions. We put a value in our health and wellness. There's a big resurgence of that today, right? Health and wellness, organic. My wife is gluten-free right now. I don't even know what gluten is, but all the only thing I do know is that if it doesn't have gluten in it, it's not good, all right? She got this gluten-free pizza and I tried a piece and I, and I was like, it tastes like cardboard. Uh, a couple years ago, she got on, my wife got on this thing and I was like, oh, well, that sounds like something I like to challenge myself with. It was a 30-day cleanse. And 30-day cleanse meaning that you can hardly have anything to eat. About 10 days into it, I was about to eat my arm. And I walked into the kitchen and the kids had kicked, cooked some chicken. And I'm ashamed of myself, but I, something came over me. I grabbed that piece of chicken, went up to the closet upstairs and got inside and ate that piece of chicken. I'm ashamed of myself, but we assign value to health and wellness, our exercising, our eating, our relaxation, how we manage our stress. We assign value to relationships, our marriages, our friendships, even our relationship with God. We assign a value to that. Our vocational values, our job, um, promotions, getting more money, owning our own business, or our educational values. Some people are full-time students. They're like, 80 years old and they're still in school. Awesome, all right? But we, we, we put value in all kinds of different things. But as a church, have you ever thought about as a church, and the church is not a building, church is people. Have you ever thought about what do we place value on as a church? What should be important to us? Whether you attend Mission View each Sunday or the Summit Church. What should we put value on? Because the things that are valuable to us will get our time and attention. And this morning, I'm gonna go back to my old school ways. I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church in North Carolina. I'm gonna go back to my, those days again, and I'm gonna give you four things, all right? So those of you who are OCD, a little bit like me, and you like having an outline, and when a pastor doesn't have an outline, you go home disappointed, well, for those of you, it's almost alliterated today, all right? I couldn't think of a, a fourth G to put in there, but it's almost. Um, I'm going to give you four things that we as a church um, should value. Number one, we should value God's word. We desire, whether again, whether Mission View or the Summit, we, we want to see the lives of people transform through the word of God and the spirit of God. Therefore, scripture should be preached. And proclaimed every single Sunday that you that you come into this place. And I've watched the messages here, and I know Steve does that. But let's be honest: Steve's only got you for an hour or two a week, if he's lucky. Let me ask you: What happens outside of here? You know, Paul writes to the young pastor, pastor Timothy in Second Timothy chapter three. And I want to look at verses 16 and 17. And here's here's what he writes. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God. So so we could say this. I love this. John MacArthur says this, and and I love this. When scripture speaks, God speaks. Do you realize, and again, this is for myself too, do we realize that when we read God's word, that God is speaking to us? That is, some people are looking for an audible voice, and I never heard an audible voice of God. But when I pick up my Bible to read, God is speaking to me. Now, I'm not always ready to receive that, sometimes because of sin or whatever. But when scripture speaks, God speaks. And we as the church, not a building, but as people, we should value God's word. Because the spirit, this is like the perfect formula, the perfect combination. When the spirit of God and the word of God are partnered together, it enables us to do the will of God. And I know this sounds really old school and some people talk about, oh, well, you're worshiping scripture. We need to get back to the old school basics of reading God's word. It needs to be a part of our everyday lives because God's word and the spirit have the opportunity to change us. We hear so many messages I'm not talking about messages from a pulpit, but we hear so many messages when we leave and go out of this place. Messages from our media, media, from from magazines, from reading, from our friends. We hear all these messages, but I wonder how much of that um, feedback or how much are we listening to God in our daily lives? As individuals, as a church, we must value God's work because when scripture speaks. God speaks. But Paul writing to Timothy goes a little bit further and he says that scripture is valuable in a couple of different ways. It's beneficial. And here's what he says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable or beneficial for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So scripture is beneficial in four ways. If you're asking this question like, why, why do I need to read scripture? Why, why do I need to hear from God? Well, scripture is beneficial in four different ways. And I'm just gonna give these to you rapid fire. First of all, it's beneficial for teaching. The Bible simply teaches us what is right. Do you wanna know what's right? Read scripture. Because when scripture speaks, God speaks. And that's why it's important no matter what phase you find yourself in life as a parent or spouse or divorce, whatever that is, single mom, whatever it is, you need the value of what is right. If you're a student, college student, high school student, middle school student, whatever, it is, you need this. Establish this habit. And habit is not a bad word. Establish the habit of listening to God daily in your life. Value God's word. If you're not reading God's word consistently, then you're also, to some degree, not also hearing from God. So it's, first of all, for teaching. The Bible teaches us what is right, and then Paul says to the young pastor, Timothy, it's also profitable for reproof. The Bible teaches us what is wrong. The Bible calls out what's sin, So in other words, if you want to know what's right, the Bible's going to tell you that. If you want to know what's wrong, the Bible's going to give you that. Third, Paul says it's profitable for teaching, for proof, and then for correction. The Bible teaches us how to make things right. Because this is kind of where we, I think if we were all transparent, this is where we all probably spend our life, trying to get things right. Some of you had that on the way here today, right? Big fight in the car, family fight. As soon as you hit the doors smiles on you know perfect kids your kids were being awful in the car you were you know my daddy said this was back in the day where you could kind of say this my dad he had the longest arm I know of it was like 10 feet and so if on the way to church or wherever if we did something it was three boys and it was you know we didn't have a minivan it was I don't know what kind of a car we had but it was super small but if we did something in the backseat my dad's hand could always find one of our legs and just squeeze it. Just, I, I, in fact, these are fake legs. Um, <laughs> but you know how you walk into church, no matter what was happening, if you're fighting with your spouse or you're yelling at your kids or whatever happened, then you hit the doors here, man, smiles go on. Hey, how, you, oh, great, Things wonderful. Just, Jesus is good, God's good. That's, hey, that's not life. We spend a lot of our life making things right. And you know what helps point that out? Is when you give the spirit something to work with, what is right, what is wrong, and how to get things right, when you are allowing God to speak, it changes you. How to, how to make things right, correction. And then the fourth thing is training in righteousness. The Bible teaches us how to keep things right. so. For teaching for reproof for correction for training and righteousness and that's not the end goal so those four things scripture is beneficial for but here's the end result of that Paul says that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work so knowledge is not it I don't care how many I grew up in a one I could I can I could say a lot of scriptures that I memorized it's not how much knowledge you have knowledge is great but knowledge has to lead somewhere. It has to lead to application. Wonderful if you, can, if you can say all the books of the Bible in order. You know how many books there are. You know who wrote the books. You know the backgrounds. That's awesome. And we should all strive for that. But the application of what we know is important. Because Paul says here that that Scripture is beneficial in four ways and that the end result of of when Scripture speaks that God speaks is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what we've been called to in everyday life. To work for him. He wants to use you and he wants to use me. But we have to present ourselves as usable to him. Now I know what you're saying is, is... It's tough to be disciplined in reading God's word, isn't it? I mean, some of you, January 1st, you're like, this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible. Now, some of you are Johnny on the spot. You've been reading through the Bible um, every year for as long as you can remember. But some of you, you know, January 1st, read through the Bible this year. You make it to Leviticus, and you're like, all right, and then it's done. But it's... Any habit or discipline, again, I'm not using that those are as bad words, I think they're important. We have an enemy. And that enemy doesn't want you to value God's word. And so there are going to be distractions. There are going to be things in our life that sidetrack us from valuing God's word for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But Paul says to Timothy, hey, listen, as a a young pastor, scripture will equip you to do every good work. What, What I've called you to do, I'm gonna equip you to do. Can I challenge you? No matter where you're at today, even if this is your first time in church, give God the opportunity to speak to you. We're not looking for some crazy sign or a, a letter in the mail. But I wonder what it would be like if everybody in this room, there's a lot of people in a room, if you would commit to live a life of listening to God and living out the life that God has called you to live. Second thing that we should value is Grace. We like to receive grace and grace I like to define is, and this is not my definition, but grace is unmerited favor. Grace is showing favor and loving kindness even to those who, who may be undeserving. And again, we all love to receive grace, somebody that bestows grace on us and we don't deserve it, but it's hard to give grace for some reason. Now the summit I would say that one of the biggest things that is important to us is that we draw a line between a person celebrating sin and struggling through sin. There's a big difference there. It's, it's, it's one thing for a person to completely celebrate and revel in their sin. They're just living a life of sin just because they love it. And they, they, they want to be able to kind of pull in. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but I also love my life. That I want to lead him. I think Paul's very clear in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I think in, in response to the people he was writing to, um, he was writing about grace. And Paul anticipated what they would say hey, you know, you're talking about grace, and just, it just seems like it's a license to sin. And Paul says, That's not what I'm talking about. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now we all struggle through sin. But no one in this room that calls themselves follower of Christ should celebrate their sin. To be okay with living a lifestyle of sin. I want us to look in Romans chapter five. We're gonna look at three different scriptures here because God is, is our, our model. God is our example of what grace should look like, this unmerited favor. God is the perfect example and manifested through Christ, the perfect example of what grace should look like in our everyday life. Romans chapter five, verse six. It says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. God has been patient with you. He has evidenced his grace in the act of salvation through Jesus' death on the cross for sin. That is grace. That is a no strings attached salvation. Now I'm not saying that, that we we just receive grace and then we live a life the way that we want. That's not what I'm talking about. But our life should change. But God has given us grace. Look in Second Peter chapter three verse nine. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Some people, even in Peter's day, were questioning, is the Lord gonna return? You know, you say he said he was and you said he was, but it seems like he's taken a long time. And Peter writes and says, uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, he's not on your time schedule. He doesn't see time as you see time. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The coming of the Lord is delayed because God is being patient for people to repent. That is grace. I mean, God has every right, being God, to just return and not wor- worry about anybody. He's not on our time schedule. But God is patient. And we as individuals, we as the church, should show grace, should show patience with people. Galatians chapter six, verse one. This is advice to the church as you handle internal struggles of sin within the church, within the body of Christ. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, now please don't wear that as a badge. But if somebody in this church is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, and again, that's not the people that are like, I'm spiritual, right, that'd be me. No, no, no. If if you're kind of signing up for that, that's not you. So if somebody is caught in any transgression or any sin, you who are spiritual or mature should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So that should be our heart. That we would be a church that evidences the grace that has been shown to us. Yes, we don't tolerate a person that's celebrating their sin, but a person that's struggling through their sin, you know what we do? We come alongside them. We walk beside them. We remember what our life was like at certain times when we were caught up in sin. Or if we're honest, what's that, what that's like for us right now. Because some of the greatest sins that we ever commit are not what is seen, but what things are not seen. The things that take place in our hearts and our minds, the bitterness, the anger, the jealousy, the envy, all these things that take place in our heart that will eventually manifest themselves in our actions. Can I just challenge us to be a church of grace? Grace of showing favor and loving kindness to people when they are caught up in their sin? Because when when they are caught up in their sin, that's when they need the church the most. And maybe, maybe that's why you're here. It's because you were one of those individuals that was caught up in sin. And people here took you in. We need to be a church that shows grace. As God has demonstrated his grace towards us through Jesus, we also should extend that grace to others. Here's a third thing we should value. We should value people. People, forgive the expression, Bringing people into this church or any local church is not a notch on your belt. And I fear that at times we as the church, we look at our neighbors and we see these, we see the ulterior motives. We kind of see them as a, you know, my neighbors are a notch in my belt if I bring them to church. We need to be very careful about that. There's a, there's a fine line. We should value people. And I especially want to speak to the people specifically in leadership in this church. I don't know how your leadership is structured. I'm sure you have elders, deacons, staff. But let me specifically speak to you that are in leadership. You need to value people over policies, okay? Do our churches need bylaws? Do they need a constitution? Do they need systems and structures? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Do they need parameters? Do they need rules? Yes, absolutely they do. But when it comes down to it, we should value people over policies. The word of God guides and gives us wisdom. The bylaws or organization of the church provide day-to-day operations. Systems and structures help the church operate in in a fluid manner. However, no church should seek to create policies for the sake of this little evil word called power. But for the protection of unity and most importantly to represent Jesus well. Look at Matthew chapter 20 because you know that Jesus went head to head a lot with the religious leaders of the day. If you read through the gospels, you find him going head to head with the relig- religious leaders quite a bit. And he says in Matthew chapter 20, but Jesus called them to him. This is verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. And again, our ultimate example here. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you lead people, you lead by serving. And I know church can be a very powerful place to have power. Because you watch what happens when, especially like when a pastor vacates a church, there is almost immediately a, a struggle for power within there. Believe me, I, I having pastored for close to 20 years, I am... Humbled, but it's also a huge responsibility that people can walk into your office or your church, and you can sit down with them for an hour, and you can tell them something, and they will sometimes listen to you. That's powerful, and I think that's what Jesus says. Listen, if you're going to be, if you're going to lead as one of my followers, that's not about making policies. It's about people, and it's about serving. So if you lead here, you lead by serving not by policy creation. Here's the fourth thing, and and we'll be done. And I think this goes without saying, and again, I'm so thankful for, for Steve and for Mission View, because I know this is your heart. We should value the gospel. We should value the gospel. I know this, this terminology during the mega church movement, which is, you know, big churches, and there's still a lot of big churches, and I don't know where you stand on that. But there was this term that was thrown around a lot. You know, we're a come-as-you-are type of church. And some people kind of backed up for, from that, and they're like, no, we're not a come-as-you-are type church. And I get what they were saying. But I think every church, to some degree, should be a come-as-you-are. Because we want everybody to come as they are, but not stay as they are. We live in a different world. We we live in a a, a, a post Christian culture. And I remember, you know, I'm forty-three years old. Now I remember a day when, you know, you could just you know, when I was a teenager, you could just show up at people's house and 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 even if they weren't religious, you could talk to them, you could stand on the doorstep. It's not always like that anymore. Culture has changed. That doesn't mean that we retreat because the gospel will still do its work when it's proclaimed. That Jesus is still the only way to have a relationship with God. There's no other way. And we should value the gospel. We should value people as they are knowing that their lives can be changed, not by us, but through the gospel. And as you interact with the people around you, your, your neighbors, people that you work with, your friends, as you go to um, mom meetings with them and, and, and four kids coffee and while your kids are playing and you have conversations, the gospel should always be on your heart. Because one day, this life as we know now will be no more. And what we do now with the gospel has the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people. Now, we, we just should be faithful in speaking the gospel when we, when we were given that opportunity. It's the Spirit's job to do the work as we speak the gospel. You can't change a person. Now I wish I could. I wish I could change people. But the Spirit does that work in a person's heart as we are faithful speak the gospel I mean you look in a room I don't know how many people are here a couple hundred people I wonder if if every single person in this room value the gospel how our community could be changed in one year if we value the fact that somebody's given us the gospel because we know that Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. We know that in Mark chapter two, verses 16 and 17, it says, and the, scribes, uh, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, speaking of Jesus, with sinners and tax collectors, says to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. In other words, those people who come and think they have it all together. Those people think that they're well, they don't think that they need me. I didn't come for those people. But notice who he did come for. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, quotes. Not the people that, that think they're righteous, but sinners. Man, it should be our heart. Every person in this room that follows Christ, it should be your heart. That you would see life change. Because I believe that every person that God has placed in your life is there on purpose. Every person. The people that you live next door to you, unless you live on a camp, compound or something like that where you don't have any neighbors on purpose. But the people that God has placed next door to you, that's not by accident. You're in college, or maybe you're in middle school or high school. The kids that sit at your lunch table—that's not by accident. God has brought those people into your life. Where you work, the people that you rub shoulders with all the time—that is not by accident. You see, we are gone. Are the days? for the most part, where churches is come and see. We went through that phase. You know, come to our church. We still want to invite people to church, right? But it's more like the church gathers to actually scatter. So we gather here and you go out and you are the church in your neighborhood. You're the church at your school. You're the church at your workplace. All the while praying that God God's spirit does the work in a person's heart. Value the gospel. And I wish I could tell you that the Summit Church, man, we've got all of these things down pat. That's why I'm here to talk to you is because we're doing all this right. Wow, we have so far to go as a church. There are so many thousands of people just in the North Kent area I've come to understand that there are a lot of Jackson people here God rest your souls See, you're you're in enemy territory here okay how many of you are from Jackson right so all right I don't know if you guys have invitations to come forward and repent at the end but that would be a good time all right just kidding oh light to darkness all right but there are thousands of people in our communities that need to hear about the hope they have in Christ alone. And you are what Paul calls, and what he writes to the church at Corinth and says, you're ambassadors. You're calling people to be reconciled to God. Come back. And the Spirit and the Word are a dynamic combination And it's amazing that God can use us in delivering a message of hope and forgiveness through Christ alone. As we close, can I pray for these four things that the Summit Church, that Mission View would value these four areas? So I'm gonna ask you to join me in in prayer. God, we come to you knowing that we all value different things. We place value on things. And my heart is as a church that we would value things that are close to your heart. That God's word will be faithfully preached at Mission View Church and at the Summit Church but also that, that God's word will be lived out in our daily lives. That this would not be the only hour a week where we hear you speak, but that we would walk away from this place, whether we are in middle school or whether we are retired, that we would always be listening for you to speak. And God, would, would you allow grace to help us to walk alongside people and be patient with them as you have been patient with with us. God, I pray for the leaders that you place here, the elders, the deacons, the staff, that policies would never take value over people, that people would remain the focus of the church as we bring honor and glory to you and to you alone. And God, the that the gospel would move beyond the four walls of this church And into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools, and our families. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here in this place. I pray that your favor and your abundance, as we read earlier, would be on Mission View Church that your spirit would work here. The individuals that leave this room today would not have come simply to attend church, but to be the church. So use us, God, to be individuals who are equipped for every good work. We give you this time don't leave us as we are but change us we pray these things in jesus name amen